Hello and welcome back to Streaming Banshees, your TV book club on the internet. This is Beep. You can reach me on Twitter at Beepsplain. You will also hear Cece. You can reach her on Twitter at A Capital Chick. And you can reach the podcast on Twitter at TV Banshees or on our website, streamingbanshees.com. We have a special episode for you today where we were able to interview writer and huge hometown Cha 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 fan, Christy Golden. I will not keep you from that. Please enjoy. So we have a very special guest today. We will not be covering an episode. We're going to be covering not only the show, but the craft of storytelling. So we have with us today, Christy Golden. Welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you and what's going on in your world. Well, I'm Christy Golden, and I've been writing professionally for uh, 30 years. I've published over 50 books, and I have made the New York Times bestseller list 10 times. I live in uh, Southern California. I currently work for a gaming company, and uh, you can find me pretty easily on Twitter, and I'm at Christy Golden or on Facebook at Christy Golden, or my website, which is christygolden.com, because I want to make things easier. Awesome. So you're a best-selling author in the fantasy and science fiction space. That's You've written in Star Wars, Star Trek, World of Warcraft. So what drew you to Gonjin? Because that's very much real world out of your normal element. Well, you know, two things. First of all, I think that people who are not familiar with fantasy and science fiction really think of it as this whole other form of literature. And for me, it's it's never been that. I always try to find a way in. I'm presented with a property that I may or may not know much about. And I try to find my way in and find the thing that makes me go, oh, yes, you know, that really grabs a hold of me. And I have found, I've written in many, many formats. I've done short stories, scripts, novels, plays. And in the end, I really think it's all about the character. And in the sort of, for instance, in a big fantasy world, right? You have this enormous world with all these characters and blah, blah, blah. And there are some people out there who are brilliant at writing the battle strategy and the politics and the intrigue and setting this thing up. And me, I'm all about the farmer with the pitchfork who's terrified because the enemy that he's only ever heard rumors of is here. And what does he do? That is what interests me. And to getting to who the people's, because I think if we can't understand the characters or find something in common, uh, the story almost doesn't matter. Plots are great. Plots are great. But you can get a synopsis and get a plot. It's the, the telling of the story. And when I read, I look for what I call good traveling companions. And by that, I mean, they're characters that are not perfect or wonderful or like, oh my God, this is just the best character. I want to spend forever with them. They're people, they're, they're flawed, they're gifted, they're messy and complicated and joyous and beautiful. And this is somebody I want to go on the journey with. You know, it's it's a good traveling companion. I'm willing to sit down and spend hours reading or watching a show or a movie because I want to hang out with this character and find out what happens to them. I love We are that. totally on board with you and everything you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you said all of it because we yeah. do, you know, sci-fi and fantasy, but also normal stuff too, considering the world. Because I always see those 
as, you know, kind of allegories for just what everybody goes through. It might be symbolic or it might be something as far as you, you know, you said like the plot or the specific world or the type of character that we don't directly relate to those parts, but we can all find something within ourselves and the world that we're in to connect to it. Yeah, right. absolutely yeah. right. And I'm not dissing plot. Plotting is an art and a skill in itself. But I've always been able to easily find characters. Stephen King's own writing is excellent. I think it's excellent not just for writers, but for, for regular people who kind of want to understand a little bit about the writing mind. And he says for him, characters just show up and they start telling them their story. And that's kind of the way it is for me. And sometimes my characters show up because they're pre-existing <laughs> but <laughs> that makes this a little bit of a shortcut but I will tell you it's harder to write a tie-in than something original because ideally if you have you know respect for the art form you are trying to do everything you would do for an original story that you are doing for a media tie-in except you're doing it with characters you can't create who you can't make big decisions for whose voice you have to capture perfectly, or believe me, the fan base will let you know that you failed to do so. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're usually working off an outline. It's usually a very tight deadline. And sometimes you don't know the world at all when you're, you're brought into it. And so to me, I think it's a lot harder than just going, this is my world. I know every inch of it. This is my character. I can do anything what I want with it. So in the end, for me, it's like who I'm sharing the journey with and, you know, what world we're in is less important to me than who lives in that world. Uh, and even in thinking about, I love that, I love that expression, traveling companion, because when you think about Gonjin, I would walk off with just about any character off onto their day, <laughs> even if they were a supporting character. This is one of the glories of this show is how wonderfully they're all realized sometimes just with a, a word or a phrase or what the actors bring to it. And you care about all of them and you you feel like you could go off stage with any of them and there, there'd be something there. You know, they don't disappear into the wings, you know, to use a theater metaphor. They're, they all feel real and well-developed regardless of how little screen time they have. Exactly. Well, we're really excited to dig in, particularly into Shin Ha Un's writing with today. And, and you, um, in a different podcast, called Hometown Cha 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 a masterclass in storytelling. And that, I, I started thinking about one quote that came to mind, just thinking about that phrase, is when Hei Jin and Dushik are at the art museum. Mm -hmm. And... Dushik is talking about a portrait, but at the time when I was watching, I felt like perhaps, perhaps the writer was talking to the audience and not just talking about art. And the line was, rather than detailed paintings, I like simple ones like this. Adding elaborate details is easy. It's harder to express the essence of something with ordinary drawings. And I was just curious if you had any thoughts about that, because... This show is, at the end of the day, seems like a very straightforward story about a group of people living in a small town. It does. And it is that. And it is, oh, it's the fish out of water, you know, uptight city girl meets laid back, you know, country boy, blah, blah, blah. And you think, oh, God, I know this story. 
and you don't. <laughs> you really don't, because that's only one one facet of it. It's kind of the 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 background and a launching pad into the story. And everything Shinhaun is so. It looks so simple. It looks so simple when you're just initially on for the ride, and you know, unless you're hyper analytical like me, because I'm a writer. <laughs> it it just seems so easy. It's like, but you know, you know how you're when you're in the hands of someone who's really good at what they do, they make it look easy, don't they? And you know, it's like I I could not draw. I could draw you a very nice stick figure, but I know people who have you know they've signed their books for me or or whatever, and they just dash off something brilliant in like ten seconds. And it's not, or it's like a surgeon, right? You know, maybe the operation itself is only, you know, a matter of an hour, but you're not paying for the hour. You're not getting just an hour. You're getting all of the years of study, all of the experience. All, that's really what you're paying for. And that's what she's bringing. And it is harder to do something simple than something complicated because really anyone with, with an imagination and, and time can craft a ridiculously complicated fantasy world, right? And they could tell you what the flagstones are made of and, you know, what the color of their hair is and the light and what happened. You know, I mean, they can get all this, this stuff, but it takes something else to bring that to life. It takes something else for you to open up yourself and be willing to go on that journey with the character, to be willing to accept the setup and and move forward in it and so she's just she's a master at the simple things and yet how many hours have you spent and you're only halfway through analyzing <laughs> this show not yeah. even the self should tell you how much there is and yeah. just, you guys i i've watched it i'm on my fourth and i'm on uh episode 14 and i kind of stopped because i'm not ready to go there yet mm, yep and but I'm on my fourth watch and you guys still tell me something that I didn't think about. And I always feel I always kind of pat myself on the back when you say something I'm like, why, yes, I caught that, too. Good for me. <laughs> so it's like, uh -huh. and they just say something like, oh, my God, I totally missed that. So there's 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 so much there. She really knows you have to. People people hear these these bits of advice and they sound like rules. It's like, don't use a prologue, don't do this, don't do this, make sure, blah. And, you know, some of those rules are great, but when you know your craft, you get to break them. And I have to laugh because nearly, I, I thought about it and nearly every single book I've written has a prologue. <laughs> and that's apparently like, no, because <laughs> it's hard to write a prologue that grab somebody and then yet is not followed through immediately if it's like kind of setting something up or it's in the past and you know it takes time to understand how how to do that and some people understand these things intuitively and some people really need to study and analyze and craft but that's exactly what she's doing she understands all the tropes she understands all the ex expectations you're going to bring and she she gives you that and yeah yeah if, if you are if so if if, if we're talking to a master of the prologue, Shen Ha Un is the master of the epilogue. <laughs> yes, all of those are exquisite. Yeah. They're just brilliant. And by the way, 
aren't we all kind of wondering about that art student? Speaking of loose ends or characters that don't walk it's like, I felt like I was Asian. <laughs> and that's, that's deliberate too, right? You know, here's the thing that this man of mystery brings up. And then during this whole thing, we never find out anything more about it. And it's not because he's deliberately avoiding it as he has been deliberately avoiding many other things, but because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that was a deliberate choice that she put that in there. So again, she could play against expectations. Like, know what? You're never going to find out about this. And you know what? You don't need to. Yeah. It was just a little glance to the side and we all leaned forward. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if anything, I wouldn't put it past her to have set this as a hint as, hey, guess what? There's a whole lot about Dushik we don't understand right now. Yeah. And we may not explore this, but boy, are you going to learn some things. Yeah. So as I was listening to you talking, I was, I was thinking about, I mean, particularly the three of us as, as you know, lovers of fantasy and science fiction. And the U.S., we were coming sort of out of an era, you know, the pinnacle of the puzzle box show. Mm-hmm. And where the plot and the mysteries and the reveals and whether you're going to tie it all together sort of seemed to propel so many, so many TV shows from like Lost to like you name it. When I was watching this show, I got to the end of it and it hit me that as you were, even though this seemed straightforward, what was deceptively not simple about it was that it was the people who were the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that was true from everybody from Chief Hong all the way through all three mysteries of Ganjin, you know, to, to Nam Suk was maybe our first hint. Wait a minute. There's more you know, as in real life, there's always things that we don't know about people. It's true. Do you have any thoughts as a fellow storyteller how Shin Ha Un went about slowly revealing these mysteries? Well, as a writer, one of the things that you bump up when you're trying to do suspense and leave a mystery is how much do you need to tell and and by my mystery i don't mean like uh who done it i just mean a story that you're like oh what's going on here i don't know so what you need to do is you need to we call them plants and payoffs and you need to plant exactly enough so that the viewer or reader can can get it and remember it when it becomes important but you can't like advertise it you know and it's like if if we saw Dushik like freaking out about being in a car we're gonna like oh my god he's had a bad experience with a car accident you know you just know that but we see him in hindsight all the little anxieties and they're so subtle he's okay driving a car he's okay sleeping or pretending to sleep in a car with somebody else driving He's grown past that, but it's still there. And Kim Sano is such a good actor, and he's like a master of micro expressions. Mm-hmm. And, and just the subtle, it's funny because he's kind of clumsy <laughs> in real life. And you're like, how are you such a master of your body to give these tiny little nonverbal clues that mean so much? And 
yet you know you can't dance <laughs> it's like it's like if there's a mystery for you <laughs> but you, you do you have to craft it and you have to go through draft after draft to make sure and you know you can't be perfect this isn't an exact science somebody is not going to get the clue somebody else is going to get the clue and go oh i know what's going on here way early and that's fine that's fine be people are different we all pick up on different things but your goal is to have for the majority of people being confused about exactly what you want them to be confused about and clear on what you want them to hear about. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. And it usually takes many iterations. And it's all about the pacing of where do you put this plant and how do you show it? And where are you going to start paying it off? So we hear constantly now about <laughs> writers subverting expectations. Yep. And playing with tropes. And so what are your general thoughts on how tropes, like how they can be utilized by writers and then also how it is such a bu buzzword on social media these days? Well, I think social media has made everybody 60 second experts. We, <laughs> That's true. We, we get our, you know, and me included, man, you know, I mean, it's, it's human nature. But we get everything in tiny little bites because we don't want to read a full news article. We just look at a headline and that's why it's clickbait, right? You know, you got to craft this headline in such a way to grab people because you got a you got nanoseconds to get somebody to look at your stuff. And it's so fast. And I will be honest, I'm not sure our brains are really processed to 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 work that way in a in a healthy way. But the end result is there are people who get on Facebook with total confidence about something that's completely wrong. And it's, I don't necessarily blame them. I blame the way that information is, is being delivered. So this has caught on and people just kind of throw the word about because it, you know, they think they know what it means and, you know, they like how it, it sounds, it seems, and it kind of makes them sound like, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Everybody quite gets it. I think it's, it's done well. Tropes are not a cliche or a stereotype. They're kind of like a shortcut to our knowledge and what it means to have the human experience. This is why I'm a big fan of the hero's journey. I'm also very into mythology, folklore, things like that. And again, that's like, oh, that's so passe. Well, it kind of isn't. It's been around for a very, very long time. And that's why it chooses the word archetype, not a stereotype. And so I think people, they're like, oh, I've seen this before. It must suck. You know, oh my God, I can't believe they're trying to force this thing on me. I know this. How stupid are they? This is bad writing. And everything becomes bad writing when mm. it really is. I don't like it, <laughs> which is completely valid. Right. Completely but valid. But it's not an objective truth. <laughs> it is <laughs> right. not. It is not. Which is so frustrating because those complaints from people when it really is about things that are part of storytelling drown out the fact that super bad writing really does exist. It does. It yeah. does. And so I'm not saying that things aren't bad. I'm just saying I see a lot of people saying something is bad when what that really means is this is not for me. Oh, yeah, 100%. We always say, like, just keep scrolling. I'm not here to yuck 
anyone else's yum. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. People are in, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And yeah. art is highly subjective. And you can see that one of my favorite things on this topic is there's one of my books that has a five-star review saying that, oh my God, I absolutely love this character. She's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. It's great. You'll love this book. Then there's a one star that says, oh my God, this character is awful. I completely <laughs> hate her. I mean, they're right next to each other. I really need to take a screenshot of that because it's just so true. And, you know, is the character horrible? Is the character great? Well, somebody thinks it's horrible and somebody thinks it's great. So, you know, but really in, in a, you, you can tell it in a poor movie or a book, it kind of feels painful when you see the tropes. And you really just feel like, wow, you're just phoning this in, right? You know, you're painting by the numbers and you're not doing it well. But when it's well done, as it's used in Hometown, it becomes a connection between the creator and the audience. It becomes something that's, yes, we all know this. We all are in on this. This is universal and it's kind of comforting and reassuring. Yeah, like I'm thinking of, I remember sort of the live watch, the discussion of the scene where there's an intruder in Haitian's home. Mm -hmm. And for a very small group of people, it was like, oh, you know, the guy has to come to the girl's rescue, right? And what I was focused on was, no, for me, the point of this scene for this character who in large part has not, we've gotten glimpses, but it, there's at that point in the story, a little bit of a wall between us and sort of the character's interior life as to what mm -hmm. is Chief Hong thinking. When he jumps in front of a knife for her, the story is letting me know how deep his feelings go. And that's what I was focused And that, you know, jumping in front of, you mm -hmm. know, danger for somebody that you care about is something that we're used to seeing in stories as sort of like a step along the way of letting us know how people are feeling about each other. As a writer, were there any tropes that were either sort of so well executed or Shin Ha-un put sort of a twist on them that got you excited as a writer? Well, I think the first thing is the obvious thing is, is the, you know, you know, it's not said a girl comes to the country and learns lessons from, you know, the sweet hometown hero. And it's by the end of it, you realize he's not a hero. He is not a knight in shining armor. He is a flawed damaged person who desperately wants to connect to people and to feel of value to them and that's part of his trauma it's also part of his makeup but there's so much more to Hong Dusik than oh I'm the cheerful guy who always smiles who makes you sit back and and, and enjoy looking at clouds you know I mean there's so much more to him than that and she is so much more than this you know, look at me in my billion dollar shoes and my hair is always perfect and I don't need this and I don't need that. She is someone who came from a very different background of, of where she is now. And honestly, maybe she's got a little bit of feeling of imposter syndrome, which is why she's trying to, you know, convince her friends that, that you know, no, I really am this cool. So they're, even, they're not even what they present as in the end. They are so much more than that and yeah. that's what I like is it and you know I mean and yes 
in any halfway decent thing, they are going to show character development. But I think the levels to which the characters grew are astonishing. And you don't expect that with a, oh, it's a rom-com, you know, city girl meets country boy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's that. And yet it's not, there's so many things in the show that yes, it is that, but <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and yeah, because even in the setup that you just described, city girl goes to the small town. Do we eventually have this growth with Haitian where she's able to sort of discard what doesn't bring her fulfillment and find sort of her own version of, okay, this is where my career is going to be and where I find myself to be useful. And, but it's sort of a simplified version and definitely not what she was envisioning when she first arrived there. Yes. She Mm -hmm. falls in love with that town and she stays there and she's going to stay the small town dentist. But the piece that I didn't see coming is that the whole second half of the drama is going to be about how she is helping Dushik open up in a way that he never has with anybody mm-hmm. else. And that's the part that is, I feel like Shen Hyun is both paying off this sort of classic setup and then taking it far beyond that to a place that I never could have anticipated with his journey, which is inextricably tied with hers. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'd love to talk about Heijin as a protagonist because I found her to be a really refreshing female character in that she gets to be, like male characters often are in TV, many things at once. Mm -hmm. She's competitive. She's driven. She's smart. She's like this accomplished professional. She can also be silly and prickly and compassionate and like really blunt and says the wrong thing <laughs> and like the way people are yeah. yep <laughs> any thought any thoughts about that oh yeah she's she's got she's just a person right i mean and she has so many as you say what we associate with men but really it really isn't it's really just about being human right you know it isn't male or female it's about being human and you know i found a lot of people some of the reasons why they quit is they get They'll give it one or two episodes and they just don't like her. Oh, she's she's abrasive, she's too tough. And it's it's mm-hmm. like, yes, she is. And <laughs> you know, and I've had somebody give up on it and says they said they, they lost me after she wore her shoes to the beach. I mean, she's smart. She wouldn't do that. And I'm like, yes, she is smart. And what I thought was, why would she do that? Right? It's like to me, it's like, wow, this is not something somebody you know, would do, why in the world would she do that? I would actually almost go so far as to say she is at some level deeply stressed out by the complications and this rigidity she's imposed on herself. These are my rules. I don't break them, you know, et cetera, so forth. And part of her arc is to learn to be as our very first question, right? You know, to be simple. And it's really lovely to see that growth. She's still doing, you know, she's still a dentist. She's still a, a, a highly trained professional. She's still going back to Seoul for seminars now and again. She's not left that world, but she has, has, has grown. And she is now capable of understanding that, you know, are there lines at all? 
don't cross that line, right? You know, everybody stays in their box. This is how it works. But are there lines? And if there are, should there be lines? So it's just really fun to contrast her with who she is at the end with that woman jogging who felt compelled to run faster than strangers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because even her, I, I find her relationship with materialism to be so interesting because you're right. At the end of the story, it's not like she gives up all of her material <laughs> and becomes yep. a fashion terrorist along with her future <laughs> husband. But she very pointedly talked about her clothes going into that wedding as armor. Like, I need yes. to have this on at, for battle. As opposed to finding this place later on, like, for example, with the necklace, where it's it's about that first pair of shoes that she bought for herself. Part of it was because of these feelings of inadequacy, because of the judgment around her. Mm-hmm. The other part of it was, but this is my gift to myself because yeah. I earned this and I like beautiful things and I'm worth that to get for myself. And, and that how that's wrapped up in self-worth and her own financial independence, which are positive things as opposed to sort of materialism and having to impress your friends at the wedding because you feel like they're going to be judging you career choices is more of sort of a negative insecurity yeah yeah and, and isn't it great that we pick up on that and it's kind of like the the gift of the magi right <laughs> she gets rid of the yeah. necklace because she thought it would it hurt him and he makes a jewelry box for the necklace. <laughs> you know, it's totally gift to the magi. It, see, there's a trope right there that's, you know, playful and, and you know, where well, we've seen that a million times. It's, in fact, it's a folk tale. But, you know, there it is, Cinderella, right? It's a folk tale, but this is, it's not, uh, rather a fairy tale, but it's not what the story is all about. And he tells her, hey, you work hard and you bought yourself something you liked with the money you earned. Why in the world would I have a problem with that? You know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. So again, yeah. she's used to judgment. So, right. yeah. Yeah, she's Yeah, he just seems to keep, you know, checking off all of the, the things about, wow, I really do like this guy. He really is cool and he really is different. Yeah, yeah. And both of those, both of those tropes, both the Cinderella and the Gift to the Magi, as a female viewer, I think are subverted both in ways that are quite feminist because this is a man who doesn't earn as much money as a woman. He is the opposite of threatened by it. He builds mm-hmm. a box for it, to, for it to be cherished. Mm-hmm. And she's going to propose to him by buying him a pair of shoes. <laughs> the guy, yeah. you know, the guy who found her shoe, she's going to buy him a gift just like he does. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fun sort of, you know, playing with those tropes in a way that kind of ships who's doing what in kind of this feminist way. Yes. If we could turn to Chi Pong, you, we have talked a lot about how he's sort of this 21st century Thoreau with the surfboard. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about what I think is truly the masterful way that as a writer, Shin Ha-un, and then as an actor, Kim Sun-ho, very, very slowly reveals, revealed to us the depths of 
pathos in this character. And I think in a way that always maintained our empathy for him, yes. which I think is really important because he's holding a lot back. And it's really the central mystery of the show, which is really interesting, right? Because he's the protagonist and we are sucked into everything that we don't know about one of our protagonists. Do you have any thoughts about how she went about doing that as a writer and then sort of hand in hand that goes obviously hand in hand with the performance? Oh, yeah, as we we just discussed, he is a, a really she got she got somebody worthy of the task. It was a big it was a big ask for any actor, and especially on some very delicate sub subjects. And he delivered absolutely beautifully, but she plants the little clues. Everybody says you're always smiling. You know why why are you always smiling? He's like I'm I'm always smiling. Well, nobody's always smiling. But that's not what the people of Gonshun see. They see whenever they see him, he's always smiling. And the beauty of this is his kindness, his generosity, his willingness to be of service, who was willing to do things, you know, that that were that are showcased very early on. You know, right when he steps off the dock and he gives tea and speaks in Russian to the poor seasick Russian sailor. You know, and mm -hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, he's he he also knows sign language. He reaches out to people on on their footing. He, you know, and it's easy to say that this is an act because he just wants to be loved, but it's not. Always, we've heard of these acts of kindness before, even even before the trauma happened. So it's not so much as a mask or being fake. It's a lifeline for him. It's not something he's putting on, but it's the part that he's choosing to show. We all have many parts, and what we choose to show to people isn't fake. It's like just just a facet, and we have many, many facets. It doesn't mean it's it's fake if it's only that one facet that people see, but it's not the whole story. And we get hints all the way through that this is just not the whole story. And he just, I love what you're saying about him in that way, because I don't think anything he presents is false. Yeah, he really does care about the people that much. The problem is he never sets aside time for himself and truly doesn't care about himself so far into the show. Yes, yes, it's it's very true. And it's so and I think that's why. When. All this stuff comes out. My first reaction, I try not to be too analytic when I'm watching because I just, I want things that, and this is, <laughs> this is why I like to watch good stuff because the bad stuff, I, I'm just out of it and I just start breaking it down. But I love to be caught up in the story. I love to figure it out the way the author wants me to figure it out. And by the time we get to that punch in the face from Dohan. And, and he says, it's true. And I'm like, it can't be true. I've seen too much of him. And because we, the audience, have been privy to him alone, right? We've seen him sh stuffing down that awful barge and smiling with every bite. So we, we know who he is. We've been gifted with a little bit more than the mask. We've seen him without the mask. The people have not. The townsfolk have not. And so I was like, oh, my God. Okay, he, this did happen. 
it's got to be a mistake or it's got to be extenuate it's got to be extenuating circumstances you know this is not what everybody is trying to paint it as and i just knew that i knew that in my heart but it was so well done that you still got just like you notice how she takes that one little step backward mm-hmm. you know, in her fancy shoes in the shoes that brought them together not that type of shoe isn't that interesting she could have done the easy thing and used the same type of shoe that she got lost that he restored to her but she didn't shin Ha-un doesn't even you know allow allow that one to one but it is still high heels on dirt mm-hmm. and she's taking a step back with them and even even i did i was like oh my god but there's got to be some reason and I just, I knew it. I knew there had to be a reason. I knew, and I was, I was very anxious to find out. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. It was so I, tense. I had a, <laughs> I had a friend here in DC who is a judge from, is a friend from long ago. And she texted me. She's like, I am on the bench in my robes and I am worried about Hong Du Shi. This is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I felt, you know, it was like, you know, millions of people around the world hanging on a thread about a fictional character's mental health for a week. That's extraordinary. I mean, you know, those were the stakes. This isn't a show where it's the end of the world. It's, it's, is it the end of the world for this one person? And we were all, yeah, it's, which is remarkable when you think about it. Um, And you, you go back to that quote about some people spend all their lives on unpaced roads and others you know, are running full tilt until they come to the end of the cliff. And I'm like, we're at the edge of the cliff now. And so it was just, I was fortunate enough. My story about how I came to watch this is I was moving and I was also writing a book in, in my free time and I was working full time. And it was, and I, I had a lot of people who had, had, been available to help me I ended up not being able to you know no no problems there but you know life and so I had one person with me and the deadline was coming up and we just worked for like days we pulled an all-nighter we went for like 38 hours without sleep and the way we were able to do it was I said I'm gonna force you to watch the show and I went back and you know I had I had gone halfway through it at that point so I went back and we watched the rest of it together and what we did was when we hit that I'm too spacey to focus, we would sit down with like a nice cup of something warm and we would watch 20 minutes. <laughs> hometown. <laughs> and then we get up and this, we just, just, just did that. And by the end, it's like, we have to watch all of these. We have yeah. to watch the rest. It's like, no, no, no break times for us. And we'll make it up later. But it just, I, I couldn't bear. And I'm, I, I feel deeply for those people for whom it was, you know, nope, next week. I was like, oh, oh. how can you live? <laughs> we didn't, it wasn't a very productive week. <laughs> oh, I watched it all at once. Thank God. <laughs> it was not productive. So if we can put our, our emotional big girl pants on and try not to cry, I would love to talk about Gamry. Because she's the emotional heart of this show and she shares a lot of wisdom not only with the characters of Ganjin with the audience and I was wondering if you could share our thoughts with her just both her role 
it, in Dushik's life and with the other villagers of Gunjin, but also the wisdom that, that Shinha Un shares with us through her words. What what I love about this, we just we spoke a little bit earlier about the archetypes, and she is certainly a mentor archetype. But instead of existing to solely help the main characters, she too goes on a journey. She's the hero of her own story, right? She goes on a journey and she's able to learn how to put herself first. And she learned that from Haitian. And she is worth the money to have dental implants because she has been working hard all her life and she deserves to enjoy the squint. And I, I just, I thought that was, that was, that was really lovely that even someone with so much wisdom still has room to grow. And I love that because, you know, people tend to think when you're up in your eighties, your seventies, eighties and nineties, like you're done, right? You know, you're cool. We'd love to hang out with you, but you're, you're pretty much done. It's like, no, no, right up to the very end of your days, you can be learning and growing in it. And first of all, I love that. Secondly, oh my Lord. I, I love how she like smacks him <laughs> when he's being <laughs> stupid and obtuse and he lets her, right? You know, he totally lets yep. her, but he has, she has so much insight and she can see what's going on. And she also has insight about herself and we see, you know, getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I won't say she knows she's going to die like soon. I don't think she does, but she knows she's going to die one day and it's probably not going to be 50 years from now. And she, we see that subtly planted throughout. She talks about how old people smell. We're no longer the blossoms. So we just need to just wither and fade away. And it's not depressing. It's just sort of this, this cycle of life and it's okay. And that I think is really lovely wisdom and it came back when she did pass and you realized wow she even said it right there i have nothing left to wish for and it's it, that's not a bleak thing it's a happy thing and she's like i have lived this full life i i've seen this i'm gonna get misty have to forgive me I've seen this boy who went through so much hurt that I know about and clearly some that I don't. And just like his father who prayed, please send someone who will be there for him. I'm sure Gamri has said that in her prayers too. And I love, pardon me. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I love at the end we find out that at his darkest moment they were both for him it's you know Hezhen who sees somebody in trouble again this is her her good nature that she's kind of masking and somebody's in trouble so she not only just calls she waits you know I, I'd like to say most people are good and most people who, who were worried about somebody who was like in a bad state would call you know make sure authorities were coming but she waits. This busy woman, I've got a schedule. I'm not outside my lane. She waits for a stranger to make sure he's okay. And Gamri, of course, calls at the same time. And that's just, it's so lovely. It's passing, not the torch, but passing a gift. And 
I, I think that Gamry has used that wisdom that she trots out right when it's just needed, sometimes with a smack. But she's also wise enough to appreciate what she has. She will, the, you know, having to seek translate that document. That's what a gift. What a mm. gift. So they kind of need each other. I'm going way off this, but I think no, <laughs> go. Like, yeah. they need each other for a while. You know, hey, you, you fix everything for this. You gave me that wind chime. By the way, that's a thread that I'm sorry. I, I don't know that it, maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor, but I just kept waiting for that wind chime to be paid off. And mm. it didn't. I kind of thought during the funeral, like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a scene where the wind is blowing and stirring the wind chimes. And there wasn't. So I was a little sad about that. But I gosh, <laughs> you know, maybe she's, she's not the perfect writer without zero flaw, but none of us is. But she's learned so much. She's given so much and she's gotten so much in return. And now she's learned all she can from Dusik, right? She's, she's been given what she needed. And he's taken what he needs from her. And I was brokenhearted. I have, my mom is 97. And so I, you can imagine this was a little impactful for me. I was so sad. I was like, oh my God, she didn't get to see the wedding. You know, she didn't get to see herself on TV. And it's like, she didn't need to. Now, you know, she didn't need to. She She had had made her journey, she had made peace with things, and she passed in a way that I think most of us would love to. After a really good day, eating your favorite thing, going to bed dreaming about a picnic on the morning, surrounded by your best friends. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good way to end a full life. So we failed the not crying bit, at least I did. Oh, well, I was, that's only because I was muted while you were talking. I know, right? <laughs> I was just going to start that question with, who's your favorite character and why is it Gamry? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's interesting to me so much of what you just said. I don't, it seems like a strange phrase to describe a death scene as beautiful. But in contrast to the very traumatic events that we have a front row seat to and death coming in violent and and disconcertingly random ways and people grieving and lashing out from that grief to say very hurtful things. Mm-hmm. Gamri serves as a contrast to that in many ways. It's an organic, natural death, as you said, as probably all of us would hope go peacefully in our sleep, surrounded by people that we love, knowing that the people we love are taken care of. And her memorial is such a beautiful bookend to the way the series ends, right? Like so often we think of community being there in celebrations and weddings and parties and graduation. And of course, Mm -hmm. so much of what was hard about the last two years were all of those celebrations that were missed and that we couldn't participate together, right? But the other, the flip side of that is how much you need community in hard times and when you're Mm -hmm. grieving Mm -hmm. and how hard 
that was over the last two years. And so to see the entire village of Gunjun walking together out in nature in that field against the sky together, and then to watch Dushik finally weep, like from yes. the depths of in a healthy way with yes, yes. Um, that I the, the the contrast. I mean, I know that you know so many people were like, "Oh, we got to the end of this journey, we had to lose her too." And listen, it's not that I didn't cry when we did, but in terms of thematically what her death brought in depicting how powerful community can be in those hard times, I think okay. I, I think it was so important for the story. Yeah, yeah. I, I read some review and they said, you know, that was a real mistake. Gary shouldn't have died. And I was like, I, I disagree. I disagree. That was her final gift to everybody who loved her. Not the act of her passing, but the love them feeling happily and sadly the love that she had given them. And in Dusik's case, it was... It was, you know, the last step he needed, the last step he needed. Although there's, there's one line he said that, you know, I lost my father 10 years ago and I missed my mom's 95th and 96th birthdays. She lives across the country. I'm from, I'm from Northern Virginia and I'm in California. And so I missed that. And as you say, so many, so many people were saying goodbye over an iPhone and just and couldn't even attend funerals and it's just it was so healing to as you say see that whole community go together and her last gift to him was that integration that how much he does need the community and the community and a reminder that the community was there for him but i got so much what he was saying and, and I think this is valid too. I mean, it's like you're you're not grieving, but you know, grief is a funny thing, and we all process it in different ways. You know, some people can move on from something in in a few months and be healthy, right? Mentally healthy. That's how they work, and this is good for them. And other people never really get over that, you know. And that's that's who they are too. But he said something about, I still feel she's with me, and you really do when somebody you love passes. There's that moment where the brain hasn't quite gotten it and you're still in that space. That's why people say, oh, he is instead of he was, because they're still, they're still there. And that can be very sweet. And that can be its own kind of healing and part of the grief, pro grief process. But he did need to take that one final step and truly let it go before it, it, it poisoned him. He had, that poor boy had so much poison by, by fate by other people who are in their own grieving process and it's it's it just was like you know letting all the poison drain out and i'm gonna quote myself here and there's a line in one of the first books i did for this company in which a character who is not a human sees his human friend crying and he's like why do you do that and she says sometimes you were so sad that the pain has nowhere else to go. And that's what it is. The, the, the chemicals in tears of emotion are different from the chemicals when you get a bug in your eye. 
they're different. It's part of your body's healing process. And so I, I just love that this was the last thing he really needed to make that journey to show up healed and healthy and ready to begin his new life with somebody came from her. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, that's fascinating that, that, the, that there's that difference in your tears. I think about it a lot. I, I think it's a larger conversation that's going on about, about men and processing feelings mm -hmm. and how they do it and, and, and crying. But it's something that I'm deeply conscious of now when I watch things with my son. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for when he gets to watch characters that he looks up to. Like I, I can say, just like I would say, what would Captain America do? I can say, what would Chief Hong do if he's mm -hmm. griping about visiting his grandparents when it's pretty and he wants to play at the park? But I can just say that and he's like, we're going to go visit grandpa. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but, but I'm so grateful for that. And it is still rare to watch men why like that the same that it, same way that it is to watch them in therapy and, and not have it be about the like pulling teeth journey to get them there right, right. It, it's no they're there and they got there on their own and they are processing and I think it's really powerful and really healthy and grateful every time I see it in a story yes absolutely so I didn't watch this live I didn't watch it till after, so I didn't see any of the discourse with anybody complaining about Gamry's death. And I, I honestly cannot fathom someone complaining about that. This entire show is about life and death, and every death that he had seen up to that point had been painted in such a horrific aspect. And now he's getting the opportunity to truly grieve someone he loved and to do that in a healthy way. And it's not like she died, you know, it's not like she got hit by a car for heaven's sake after we've been through all that. She had fulfilled her life's purpose as well. I, I, just, I can't fathom someone not liking that. I think it was perfection. You want to know what's funny? In the article that I read, they said, this is just bad writing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're full circle. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty, Beep, I will say that it was pretty, the experience of watching this week to week was both one of my most favorite in recent memory fandom experiences because there was so much, to, so much to dig into. And not only that, it, it was this, you know, magical a lot of times you have stories that you're watching live with an audience and everybody is parsing through the clues and then maybe the payoff is kind of goes out with a whimper <laughs> or, yeah. expect or ex expectations are subverted in not a good way. This was one where everything got paid off. And so it was just this really joyful experience, but it also was emotionally draining. Oh, yeah. Um, on the best, especially on the back half, for exactly what we were just talking about before, we're so deeply invested in these characters and their happiness and well-being that you had a week after he got punched in the face. But I think at the end of episode 15, people were like weeping and they were emotionally exhausted. So I, I, do, I do think that perhaps... There was an in-the-moment 
I just can't take anymore. That I agree with. You know, because it was this, we went on this journey of everything that Dushik suffered. You find out he also almost took his own life and then you lose Gambri. And I think at the end of that night, it really, you, you were really emotionally spent. And, and maybe I don't want to speak for people who felt that way, but I'm curious if people still feel that way. Now, looking back on it with a little bit more emotional distance. Does that make sense? Yes. And remember that I was sleep deprived. <laughs> and what yes. and like, you know, small village. <laughs> I really, it was a real gut punch. And like I say, I have my mom's older, so it had extra special emphasis for me. And I kind of felt like that too. But, but I then watched the next episode immediately and then I was fine with it. But by the end, when you can look at it, I really did see how it was, you know, maybe it wasn't absolutely necessary, but I think the show would be lesser without it. I agree. Yeah. Because I just thought thematically, when it comes to this really important theme of community, it shows, it shows the importance of community in very different times. And the finale is, has those two bookends, right? We, want, we, mm-hmm. open, we open the finale with community in mourning together. Mm-hmm. And, and all, in all of the very healthy ways that that happens, right? Mourning together can include sharing food and laughing and drinking together. Yes. The same, and all the way on the other spectrum, sobbing alone with somebody that you're close to. And all of those are healthy and they purposefully show that people grieve in different ways and remember her in different ways. And there's no right or wrong way to do that. And then we end the episode with that same community celebrating a wedding and speaking up to her, hoping that Gamry is watching. Yes. To me, that was beautiful. Christy, you went on the Nunez Nucci's podcast and said something so insightful that I just can't resist following up. You said that what you found really interesting in Hometown Cha 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 is that there is no villain in the story. And the way you sort of put it was rather, I, I, I want to follow up sort of the idea being that the antagonist was sort of an an unwillingness to embrace our connection with others. Yes. That that's what the characters are struggling with. Like it, it's almost like the antagonist is their, themselves <laughs> and having yes, to get yes. over. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. That's something that came to me, you know, because obviously I've been thinking about it a lot. And that's kind of, I just kept going. I was like, how can you make a story? First of all, how can you have like, two love triangles and sometimes there are more than because there's more than just you know six people involved and both of them end or not end but wrap up well with with everybody still caring about each other still having places in their lives for each other and you know it's so healthy like how how do you do that (laughs) i can think of only one other time in my entire life when i've seen that and that involved like magical stuff. So <laughs> that was amazing to me. And the other is, how do you have this compelling story with no villain? I mean, there's not an antagonist. You know, every, we like everybody in this, this drama, right? Nobody's no bad guy here. 
and it's it's and it, it was like I started thinking about it. It was like, well, what is you know because antagonist doesn't have to be. We think villain, and we think the guy with the mustache and the girl on the train on the tra- train tracks, right? And it doesn't have to be that. It's just an obstacle to the character's growth. The obstacle to the character that, that that the protagonist has to defeat is an antagonist antagonist or an antagonistic thing and to me what everybody needed to learn on one level or another was to stop shutting themselves off stop refusing acts of kindness start being willing to initiate acts of kindness even if they might be rebuffed to trust that people who love you actually do and that just to me was such a lesson especially and again everything is overshadowed by the pandemic everything from this time in history is going to have some threads connected to this and we were so isolated from communities certainly physically i mean we did have online spaces but that was it largely and how much we really do need that how much we need that so the thing that blocked their paths to not just happiness, but to wholeness and health, mental and spiritual and emotional health, was ourselves locking ourselves down and and not being able to trust other people to be able to hold space for us. So for me, that was the conflict. What is the conflict? You know, is it man against man, man against society, man against nature, man, hello, quote unquote. And in this case, it was against something inside you. Yeah, it's man against self. Man against self, exactly. Your your own unwillingness to to stretch and to trust. And when you do that, there's something so amazing on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because we had just done the episode nine podcast where Chief Hong is holding an absurdist play in his hands by Eugenio Ionesco, mm-hmm. the bald soprano. And all of those plays are about talking in circles and not communicating. Mm-hmm. And so she has, Shin Ha-un, I mean, you can just put together great re- reading lists from all of her literary Easter eggs. So it is really interesting when you rewatch it particularly when you now know everybody's backstory, Mm -hmm. these conversations are the layers to them of being like, "Eh, you're drawing that conclusion because you don't know X. (laughs) And you're reacting to that because of Y that happened to you, right? And when you go back and rewatch these conversations, it really brings out that theme of how difficult it is to really communicate in a brave and authentic way it's, but you're right it's absolutely and, true yeah but everybody's quote-unquote happy endings at the yeah. end of the show is because they finally are brave enough to to do that everybody from cho he to young guk and hajang to jushik and and heijin like everyone exactly exactly what i found really interesting was when we first meet jushik and hajin they are both masked, right? They are both presenting a facade to the world that isn't entirely who they are. And they're really kind of immature on how they're going about that. 
And through each other, through this connections, they both had extremely difficult and challenging childhoods. And they, with each other, not just found a romantic partner, but they found a playmate. They found somebody they could stop on lottery with and run in the rain with and laugh. And, you know, his dream is about them goofing around. It's not about them in a romantic sunset or kissing or anything. They're just spraying each other with water and laughing. Mm-hmm. And that's what is nourishing to him. So they, they, so they, they kind of reverse age. They, they are these adults that are damaged and got their guard up. They become children. And then they both turn into adults who are capable of some of the most mature things I can imagine, which one of which is, do seek, you're not ready to tell me this, but I'm still going to be here for you. And I'll wait until you are. And it's I'm extraordinary. Like, Whoa. I mean, you know, you know, in the back of her mind, she's just, you know, going crazy. But at the same time, there's this adult calmness that she can give to that anxious child because she knows him. She knows who he is and she cares about him enough to know that it's important for him to speak on his own timeline, not what she wants. So I I just love that level of growth. And then he becomes, and there's hints of it, you know, this, both of them have certain wisdom, right? That they're imparting dental wisdom <laughs> as you all discuss it. All the little nuggets <laughs> of insight that she's got that she uses in dental metaphors. But they both have wisdom. And, but it's like all of, again, all the barriers to who they can fully be are set down one by one as they grow to trust and to reveal and to expose themselves and to take the scary step and become really healthy, wise adults who, who are in touch with their playfulness and connected to each other. And it, I don't know, it's just, it was really remarkable to see that. And that's actually something, I keep getting new insights as I think about it. And that was something that I really just figured out in preparation for our talk today was that yeah. that cycle. I was like, wow, how much of an adult do you have to be to just let somebody take their own time telling you something? It really is like truly remarkable. It was a remarkable patience and grace to to give that space to your partner, particularly after so much time. And, and you know, on, on the on the other side of it, with respect to Dushik, I found his his conversations at the end of the series with his young's widow. I think that that was a very difficult conversation. I had to watch that one a few times because unlike a typical television show, it did not give me everything I wanted, right? I wanted her to be like, I'm really sorry that I said those horrible things, but she doesn't quite do that. And what I thought was so interesting about that is because ultimately that's not who he needs forgiveness from. Like he needs to forgive himself. But I can also picture many other people who would have been like, but are you kidding me? Are you not going to say you're sorry for what you said? Because I mean, what she said was truly, I understand the place. Well, I can't really understand the place it was coming from, but I can imagine the place it was coming from. But he doesn't 
react to that. And he also handles the conversation with the security guard's son and Gamri's son. And really just incredibly gracefully and mm. really sharing very hard-won wisdom with them about self-judgment and self-reproach and how not productive that is, you know, in your life. And, you know, you think about the silliness of them cosplaying together, right? And all of the things they're doing when they're going through the bucket list, when they were really just these two kids who had to grow up too fast or finally getting to kind of be kids again. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love that insight. It's that's that's so great. Yeah, yeah. The 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 emotional IQ at the end with everybody is just astonishing. And it was just again so refreshing to see these honest conversations about things that you might have done or might have felt. And not even uh, self-blame isn't helpful. You know, if you make if you make a mistake, you know, I, it's it's to just sit there and beat yourself up about it is is just not helpful. And I thought that was all addressed really well. And you we didn't need to hear that from her because she knows that he knows. Even though it hurt him, he knows where it came from. So he's he doesn't think she was just being cruel to be cruel. He knows how much she loved him because he loved him too. And that's a lot of maturity on on both of their sides. I just love how all of that ended up resolving. And I especially love Dohan. On this last rewatch, I got really fond of him. And just how how hard is it to be like this person that has shown themselves to be pretty awesome and thoughtful and caring is the boogeyman that has haunted your family. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. That's, and I think it's so, she plays with point of view and what people know, yes. what and when. So I, it's so important that both, that both he and Director Xi have gotten to know Chief Hong, <laughs> that she's meticulous and that that is the only name, you know, that he has heard. <laughs> As this wonderful guy that like he, you know, every time I rewatch, he's like, oh, he's such a cool guy. He's the best guy. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, my God, he's the villain in your family's story. But because you got to know him without that narrative frame in mind, once you find out that it's him, you are forced through your own experience to have to reconsider everything that you had assumed. Absolutely. And that kind of goes back to the idea of the antagonist not being another person. It's not this external person. It's you. It's inside. That sounds so blamey, and I don't mean it to be. But I do mean it's something that, that you can become aware of and can adjust, learn how to adjust for your own well-being, your own growth. But the villain was never Dusik. This was just a terrible thing that happened. And what what he was angry at was not a person. It was it was someone to blame, someone to make it external and not have to face it inside with the fact that this guy who has been, you know, reviled and hated by your family is actually somebody good. And it's it's you who needs to understand that. Yeah, I love how this show plays with 
And it, it goes back to, interestingly, the Tolstoy he was reading, these, and sort of that story of the three questions where, where this king is trying to anticipate everything in order to be a best ruler, like what's the right thing to do? When's the right time to do it? And constantly, as Heijen said, like those what ifs are pointless. So the, if I hadn't gone to the soccer game, I would have gotten home earlier. If I had followed up with the, with the security guard or answered the phone, if only my dad hadn't been worried about my student loans, right? All, and all of that, like if only, you know, there was a trip coming down the road, the stock market crash, none of all of these things are out of our control. Yeah. And that is so scary that we then try and in the wake of the chaos that they cause, we, we try and like claw back some control as if our choices could have made it turn out differently. Yes, I love really, that. Yeah, it ends up being really destructive for, for everybody involved, right? Like whoever's doing that from Dushik to, to Dosan to like, right? So, yeah, I think everybody, I know I've been in that place. You yeah. know, if only I had blah, 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 this would have happened. It's like, well, you know, you can't know that. You absolutely can't know that. And how much of that was in your control? <laughs> like zero? No, I don't think most people can relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have not done that today. I just want to say, just to clarify. Ooh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christy. This one's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the past, you've you've described this show as one that Fills your heart, breaks it, but then fills it back up again. So how does being able to balance both a clear-eyed view of humanity and yet also a story about human connection, like, how does that work? So what I think about that is I don't know that being clear-eyed means you have to be uh, a a pessimist. I don't think it has to mean you have to be cynical. Because if you're clear, that means you see everything. And that means you are aware that there's good in there with the bad. You're seeing all of it. And so the good, the bad, the tragic, the beautiful. And like the, we talked about the funeral for Gong Ray. I mean, that's so sad. That's so sad that this person that they, you know, have loved for 80 years, who did so much to them, she's gone. But there was joy in remembering her and keeping her alive in our memories. And I like to deal, there are a couple of themes that that, that are just life questions that I always kind of try to answer in in some of my books if if it's pertinent. And one of them is what makes good people go bad. And the other is what makes some people just give up and other people just keep up and get fighting. And... It's sometimes not who you expect. It's it's not sometimes not the big strong hero. It's sometimes the 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 small villager who is able to just keep going and keep going and keep going. And what's in it in us that makes us keep getting back up again? And sometimes who is able to do it, like I say, is very unexpected. And and actually, Nam Silk occurred to me when I was I was doing this because she could so easily. I mean, what truly. Is there anything sadder and more unfair than the loss of a child? That goes, uh, older people, you know, this is the cycle. We're born, we live, we grow old, we die. And that's natural. That's the cycle of nature. But this feels wrong to have to bury a child 
And there are so many ways she could have gone with this. You know, she could have been angry. She could have just stayed in that place of, I can't move forward from this. And instead, she's like one of the liveliest people we know. Right? And she's she's also yeah. taking her, her money and is not using it for herself. She's using it to help other children so that other people, how selfless is that? I don't want you to suffer as I did. And anything I can do to help you and your child avoid that, I'm doing. And that's her lifeline. And I, I was uh, thinking about this and it kind of made me chuckle because, you know, if you look at it a certain way, gossip is certainly about connecting with your community, right? <laughs> it's yeah. knowing about what they're doing and what's important to them and, and things like that. So instead of turning inward and shutting people out, she's found this interesting way, shall we say, of, of communicating. And people, people are annoyed with her. But that's, they understand it. They know that that's her way of interacting with them and showing concern. Yeah, no, I remember a sociology class in college kind of blowing my mind when it listed like gossiping and talking about each other is an essential like characteristic of a community. It's <laughs> wanting to know what's up with everybody else and talking about it. You know, that professor argued it was often framed negatively because people associated it with the women doing it, which was mm -hmm. very intriguing. But yeah, I mean, certainly there's, you know, more or less constructive ways to do that. <laughs> you yes. know, but yes. yeah, I mean, for example, Hajang quietly pulling people aside and filling yes. them in. That's not, I don't think we'd call that gossip, but she is sharing personal things about other people in trying to be constructive, saying, I think you need to know this piece of information before you interact with this person again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But can we discuss the community gossip text? <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. And I who's not on it? It's yeah. so great. And the grandmas are on it, man. <laughs> Those are tech yep. savvy gemmas. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that. That just absolutely cracked me up. Oh, and one thing that's really particularly funny about it is that it's Haitian who is kind of caught talking behind their backs. Everybody goes, Oh my God, I just like died inside. I curled up like uh, actually in a fetal position watching that because I'm so empathetic. I'm like, oh my God. So you know, brutal. how awful, how awful. And then we find out that they're like worse gossips and they're talking smack about each other. Too. <laughs> and it's just, and it, Dosik knows that. So that's kind of why he's dealing with it. It's, it's hurtful. He's angry at her, but he also is angry at them because, hey, you know, pot, cattle. <laughs> We've all yeah. done this. We've all done this. And he, he puts himself in that too. But yeah, I just, I, I thought that was interesting because we yeah. later find out they've got this whole network. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but, oh, how dare, right? <laughs> it's just because she got caught. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd love to hear, I, we've talked a lot about the very explicit and then also more subtle ways the show has, has a really interesting debate about romanticism versus realism and sort of what are productive and or fulfilling ways that people can choose to live their lives. It's one that I, as I'm watching, find very 
challenging and I can go around and around as I listen to he, to Heijin and Dushik debate it. Do you have any thoughts on how this show kind of deftly navigates society's expectations and sort of what's necessary to just kind of keep things moving and also people's dreams? And I think it can, it applies to a lot of different characters in Ganjin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, it's, it's a very common theme that we see and it's given many faces in, in the show as well. And it's also interesting because I'm a North American. I know very little about Korean culture and manners and, and things like that. So I'm always learning new things. And so it was interesting to see how many things we actually all have in common, which is, which is less important, I think, than the formal speaking, which is obviously to respect it. I, I understand that, but it's, it's less, it's a very specific thing as opposed to something universal, like, oh, we want other people to like us and think well of us. And we, we, our society says we have to do this, mm-hmm. but we all deal with that. And, you know, the dreams and being who you want to be, it, it does conflict sometimes. It does conflict. When I grew up, you know, I, I thought I would be a housewife with, with two kids and, and a husband and stay home, you know, cause I'm, I'm up there. <laughs> I am, I ain't no spring chicken. And <laughs> so it's been really interesting to see how that's certainly still um, a viable way to lead your life, but it's not the only way. Uh, society does not have that, you know, you not need to be married before you're 22 or you're a spinster, right? You know, when was the last time we heard spinster in our vocabulary? I think like um, a Jane Austen, Jane Austen miniseries, probably. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. really. Bridgerton, right? But, <laughs> but I, I love that there's, there's so, so much more than that, but it doesn't necessarily matter if that's out there in the world, if it's, if your situation does not incorporate that, right? Like poor, poor Jo, she is definitely defying societal traditions. And I love her so fiercely for that because she seems like such a delicate, vulnerable person. And you realize what an amazing spirit she has to say, this is who I am. And just love that. We see some dreams that have gone by the wayside. Oyun has a special place in my heart as a fellow creative. Really do understand that. But I think this is something we're starting to see more of, and maybe especially after the pandemic with more people working from home, right? Yeah. Yes. It's a whole new world from what it was because you had to be on site. You had to be here, blah, blah, blah. And now we're learning that's not necessarily true. People can maybe can be more efficient if they don't have to worry about childcare, if they don't have to worry about, you know, just just being at home where they can tend to their environment during a five-minute break, things like that. So with all the mental health challenges the pandemic has brought, it's also brought us this new insight, which I think is really interesting. I love how we see that brought home at the very, towards the end, where 
we've been wondering what's going to happen with the person who wants to stay in Gunshin and the person who wants to live in Seoul. And we see how she, how they make it work. She's still a professional. She's still a consummate professional. She still is valued and attends seminars and presents workshops, but she's worked it into her life so that she also has this other side of her. And it works well because absent makes the heart grow fonder. And that, that embrace, you know, when she comes back, is just like the cutest thing. Oh, it's the best. There's it's, so much plaid and they're swirling around yeah. and amazing. <laughs> it's so cute. It's just adorable. What, um, I think is, what I think is interesting about, just to pick up on what you just said, what she finds fulfillment in is her profession. Her profession as a dentist is to serve her patients. Yes. And what the be- the beginning of making a bunch of money and sitting around at a table at a wedding and being like, oh, well, I've, I have paid this much in taxes. I can make this much at a rural clinic. That was mm-hmm. all about how much money you make. Absolutely. Yeah. None of them were talking about actually practicing dentistry. And, you know, the latest procedure or who is the best dentist not, or who could who could perform what oral surgery or whatever the like kind of even if you were still being competitive, it was all about financial success. Mm-hmm. And that is something I think that, you know, doesn't matter what country and maybe more in some than others is very relatable. Social position. It's I think that's universal. Yeah. I did have a really fun moment. I ordered the official soundtrack, which comes with this really lovely book and the CDs. And there's these little tiny photo cards that look like Polaroids. The one that I just realized is at the back that made my kids and I just squeal with glee is a fake OU autographed Polaroid. As if it is from the artist Oyun and autographed by Oyun, and we just went nuts. We were like, "He's back!" Recorded <laughs> in the soundtrack, it's like a fictional autograph, but it's just this little nugget buried among all the little photographs of the real artists that are on the soundtrack. It was so great. <laughs> I love it. It's so meta. It's so meta. It's so meta. It's so cute. <laughs> I think this story is both timeless, but also timely in mm, when we mm-hmm. experienced it. Any any thoughts about Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha in the year 2022 on our second year of a pandemic? Well, um, we're, we're, we're not out of it yet. Numbers are on the rise again. And I know, I know we're all exhausted. And I think that's why this resonated so well, because, you know, as, as we talked about, people are saying goodbye in these terribly un, un, painful, particularly uniquely painful. We've never had as a society for it to be the norm for your last words to your beloved to be on a video phone, right? I mean, it's this, this is, this is just such a remarkable uh, time in, in history. And so much of what this show was about, it couldn't have been better. It couldn't have been more timely. And 
I think it resonated. I think it would have been a good show anytime. I mean, it is a good show, but it had this extra special component of being a big dose of kindness and take a breath and connect with people you love when we were all just heartsick and tired and angry and and just worn down and i just keep seeing the world healing 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 being used to describe the show and it is it it really really is is i i am grateful i am grateful that the show was there because this is one of the nicest communities fan communities i have ever been in um, a lot of them can turn very toxic and this is oh, all yeah. about you know reaching out to each other and being helpful and let's get coffee trucks sent to the set of our favorite actor and you know it's just really a really really nice place and it's it's because of the show and it's you know because of of the some of the actors that are in the show that that have, have given us this message and we're, we're taking it up we're taking it up as fans of the show and we're taking the lessons to heart and I think they're important lessons that will serve us as we continue to go through our lives. A TV show can have that effect. A book can have that effect. And I think the more time that passes, the clearer this is going to become. Yeah. I, I, I think I, there are nuggets of wisdom from this show that even in the last week, I've been in different situations where I have said to a friend who was grappling with the way somebody was dealing with something, you know, what is easy for some is hard for others. And I found myself, you know, actually using that wisdom in my everyday life, the same as when I try and check a reaction I may have to, why is this person acting like this? And trying to take a breath and being like, okay, before I react to this, let me take a breath and think why and see if I can give them a little bit more space instead of just a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, that's so important. You know, which is hard because you're right. We are exhausted. So, you know, things these days when something, when when one thing goes wrong, it just kind of feels like the wheels are coming off more than maybe it did even two years ago. But, but yeah, it's real world wisdom from a story. Any other things that you just, uh, we can just go full fangirl flail. Anything else that you just love? Hey, flail. <laughs> yeah, there's just, there's so many. You know, it's one of those things, like when people say, what's your favorite book? And just go deer in headlights because all of a sudden every <laughs> book you've ever read is rushing to the forefront of, you know, being on the tip of your tongue. There's just so many. And there's so many in each episode. I mean, I just love, the way he just keeps running his hand through his hair. And I love, <laughs> I love Oyun as a character. And, you know, just this, this, you think he comes off as very clingy and very fawny and very self-fawning and very self-obsessed. And then you start to realize what he's been through. I mean, I, as an artist, I cannot imagine what it would have been felt like to be on the precipice of fully realizing your dream, great success, and then to have someone you trusted betray you 
like that and take not just your money, but your dream. It's not just a robbery of, of, of cash. It's a robbery of his future, his hopes, everything. And, and yet here he is still kind of like trying to play it off and stuff. And I just really kind of fell more and more in love with him the, the more I saw. And I love how unabashedly sentimental he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll cry at the door. Are you crying? No. Oh, you know. <laughs> you know? And so Daria is just rolling her eyes, dad's crying again. And just, I love how he just care. He doesn't really yeah. care. He knows, you know, he knows that that no, she can see it, right? He's got tears yeah. in his eyes. She's crying. No, no. But he doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I just, I just love him. I love that. That hedgehog song song. I like, I want to get one. I want to get one after that. <laughs> and after but, all that, too, he loses his wife and then he's a single God, parent. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. he's like starts stacking it on. It's, yeah. you know, and he comes and he, he gets and he starts in this new town. And I think Gunjin, one thing we haven't talked about is Gunjin is a character. Gunjin yeah. is a very big part of why this community is the way it is and why people are the way that they are. And you want to talk about magic. There's some magic right there. It may not be your traditional fantasy. Here's a spell kind of magic, but there's magic in this place. And it clearly touches everybody who's there. So yeah, he, I I love him. I love that he came out on top at the end Director G did remember his request. Isn't that awesome about G? He's ready to get the decision of his life. He's waiting for her to come and see if she's ready to become involved with him. And here's this guy who's like, you know, hey, you can mention it, me too, you know, the sugar people or whatever. (laughs) I can't remember. Had sugar in it. And (laughs) she remembers that. Yeah. Which is really, there's just so many interconnections of kindness and thoughtfulness. And that's, that's, that's so prevalent in this show. I'm rambling now. I'm just tossing yeah. things out like I'm throwing rose petals on a crowd here. <laughs> I, like I said, we talked about the love triangles. I absolutely love that. And that line when he says, you know, I care a lot about her, but I'm pretty fond of you too. I'm just like... I love this with my whole heart, you know. It's, like, yeah, it's going to make it super hard to watch tr- lo- another love triangle. <laughs> it, like I set know. the it's... standards so high. <laughs> oh. that... Well, you know, it's so hard to be able to resolve it. It's usually somebody gets hurt and has to deal with that. And it, it, I hate get people getting hurt. So, and yet I watch the show. <laughs> but that's another thing over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, another thing that I want to say is I have absolutely nothing but insane respect for uh, Shin Haun and, and how she's, she's managed to juggle all of these complicated things, all of these characters, uh, and the actors who really just made these characters their own. They're all so interesting. And they're all good traveling companions. And I would love to be able to to do something. She's really kind of lit a fire in me. I don't know for what yet. But I'm feeling that nice creative restlessness that at some point there's going to be something coming my way and I'm going to enjoy it. So I, I want to thank her for that just because it's, 
as a writer myself, people say, oh, hey, you, you, I started painting again, or I've started writing in my novel again after, you know, reading your books. I mean, this is great. This is just spreading. Creativity is a magical thing. It's a healing fire. And it's just, there's nothing better or more complimentary or kinder to say to a creative person than that your work has inspired me to be creative myself. So big, big props to her. Question about, about it, I mean, it's kind of about that, kind of not, but what do you think in contrast to American television about there traditionally being one season, one writer for the K-dramas? Well, I now work with the team of writers and we have a writer's room. And that's uh, a change after, you know, 25 years of basically going it solo. And I, lo I love it because there's a synergy and these are all creative people who are fantastic, experienced, skilled, imaginative people whose presence in the room just makes things that much better. But I do resonate with the idea of having the control over the story yourself and making sure that it's where you want it, how you want it to be done, etc. And I kind of like the idea of a story ending. So I, I like both. I like series. Some of my, my, one of my favorite shows is Supernatural. That went on for 15 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, yeah. I had a bumpy road as well. <laughs> I, and I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think the writing in that was, you know, there were some stumbles. 15 years, you're going to have some stumbles. But by and large, the writing for that was always was, was quite good. And so that's fun, too. I think there's certainly a place for both. And I love that there's a place for both. You know, inclusivity is like uh, an important word these days. And I love that we have the ability to experience both. I can sit here and watch all my Marvel movies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the TV shows and, and going on forever. And then I have this beautiful, complete little package here that I can savor. So I, I think I think there's room for both and and I love both. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, the more the more I experience both, <laughs> the more I, I used I, I think I was at a point two years ago where I used to think, well, I if they know that the end is coming, usually that I, I had drawn the conclusion that that would ultimately mean that it was more it was going to be a more satisfying resolution but mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the case mm -mm. it <laughs> so, depends on the show, really not, yeah. on the show. <laughs> and even if even if you know it's at the end is coming like you know it doesn't necessarily mean that like as a viewer i'm personally gonna be satisfied with it and i guess sometimes if the story is still going and holds your interest there's always hope <laughs> yes so, yeah, I mean, winter was coming too but look what happened to that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Eddie, Christy, any other thoughts about what you'll you'll take with you from hometown cha 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 as a storyteller? Just the whole experience. I mean, this is something that there's a reason I'm watching it four times, not just because it's good, but because there's so much to mine. And I just it just really seems to be the quintessential story in many ways. It has great traveling companions. It has mysteries that are are well-founded and oh this kind of leads into uh something speaking of the mysteries that again just kind of recently occurred to me 
I love that I keep discovering things about the show. You know, I'll be yeah. 97 myself and still watching it and going, oh my God, I didn't catch that. But in, in the end, all of the mysteries turn out to be in character, if you think about it. Because the lottery ticket, who won the lottery ticket? It was won by the person who, of all of the people we know, is the least likely to abuse his good luck. So mm-hmm. that is perfect. His personality is exactly someone who should be trusted with that kind of money. It's not going to go to his head. He's not going to think he's better than other people. He's not going to squander it and then find himself impoverished. It's, it's just perfectly suited. Also, just love the Ajang and Jungkook. They're such fun characters. And their behavior is entirely in character once you know the story. You absolutely see it. It's, it's like, why did they get divorced? It's, it's, it's right there. And it's from his inability to see what is right in front of him. And from her, you know, unwillingness slash inability to stand for it, really. And that's, that is a good thing. So now they are back. It's come full circle. They are back and, and his eyes are open and she knows that. And so now they can go forward in a happy way, completely in character. And, you know, of course, the Hong to seek the villagers know seems to be this cheerful, happy, helpful man. And he's actually shaped by events that are exactly the opposite. And it's only after the final traumas, the, the, the exposure. How awful would it be? Here's another thing to think about. For you to have this weighing on you and you have this, this guilt that you don't deserve happiness and that you're responsible for the deaths of everybody. It's like everybody you touch dies, right? You know, how to, how to feel that way about it. And then you finally met somebody who trusts you in return and you're ready to open up to her. And then it is laid bare with no warning in front of everybody. I mean, how, you know, he finally worked up the courage to tell this one person and he comes back and he gets punched and everybody he's, everybody he's worried might not like him if they knew now knows. I mean, that's, but it's only when this happens and he's forced to deal with it. And then as we talked about how much Gamry's death was was a purposeful one. It brought more kindness into the world almost than it took. Dusik becomes the man in the true way. So they're always thinking about him as, oh, did he do this? Did he do this? Did he do this? And they're right because it's not, what they're seeing is not all of him. And on some level, they're aware of that, I think, subconsciously. So I just love how all of the mysteries really do revolve around the characters and their journeys. And... <laughs> The the jewels that you find in this show just keep stunning me. It's just, there's so much here. One thing I just thought of as you were saying is, is the writer trusting what needs to be addressed explicitly and what doesn't. So, for example, I could imagine on other television shows that we would have seen scenes where different people in the village had that kind of face-to-face conversation with Dushik afterwards. Yeah. And and explicitly addressed it, right? And been like, okay, but, but we don't actually need to see that. No. Because they they 
by and large know him and know what who he is even if they didn't have the full story and then you know they kind of we see them on their own processing that but ultimately he's a part of their community and he was always going to be that even though he feared you know the real stakes of and we and we see it unfold in as way as possible right of, of what people think about him the same way that we you know you had all these coincidental meetings every seven years between Heijia and Jushik. Two of them, they will know about and acknowledge to one another. But they're probably never going to know that she was the one who called on that bridge. Oh, and they don't need that, you know? And they don't need to. No. It was a kindness that in, in a small part played a role in why he's still here. And it's really beautiful. And, and so there are some ends that are tied up beautifully and there are some ends that just kind of, you know, are left, not dangling, <laughs> but the, what's the right imagery? Just kind of blowing in the breeze, like Gary's wind chimes. That, mm -hmm. Yeah, that are just sort of left and we can kind of think about them like, like the art history girlfriend. That's <laughs> <laughs> season two. Uh, oh, yeah. So we have, though, we've been talking about things that, you know, didn't need to be shown and how this wrapped up. But you have said, Christy, that you want to see a sequel. So tell me what that's yeah. about. <laughs> well, this is something that I, I just an idea that hit me and it, it posted on, on Twitter. I posted it on Twitter. And so it's just silly. It's just a fun little series. And it's like uh, it take place in the future, like maybe 10 or 15 years in the future or maybe 15, 20. And it deals mainly with the kids. And they're all grown up now. And Ijun and Boran dated in high school, but they broke up. And now Ijun is a school teacher. And Boran and Juri got involved in the K-pop business. And now we're teaming up with Director G to do a reunion special for the band, which has broken up. But they're going to do a reunion in Gunjin. So what happens is, of course, you know, it, it, Ijeon is dating another girl and it's, it's okay. I was kind of thinking about this and he was so damaged by his parents not being together that maybe he decided that that's what you need to do. You just need to be together because you can you know, always work through things. And maybe he needs to learn that sometimes people just aren't right for each other. So he's dating this girl and it ends up with Bara and Ijeon getting back together the girl falling for the dreamy poet writer of the show, June and Juri are now closer in age. They haven't seen each other, but now maybe sparks are, are flying there. And we have Oyun as a consultant on the show. And we have Heijin <laughs> and Seek there to provide the best relationship counseling. Absolutely possible. So that's, my, that's my silly dream. <laughs> I love it. Oh, cha -cha -cha -cha. I, you know, call Cinematic me, universe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Ali will admit that I was silently fangirling when you said that June and Jury were closer in age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not as that. Well, you know, when you're 15 and somebody's yeah. what, 20, 21, 18, it's, that's just not, not a good thing. But, you know, when you're 25 or 30, it's really not that big a deal. So, yeah, it was just something that hit me and I was like, that makes me laugh and it would be something that I would enjoy seeing. So... The magic of Gunjin. Magic of Gunjin. I would go back there for my vacation on my screen anytime. <laughs> <sighs>
Can you think of your favorite line of the series? Paved roads in the clip. Because that came so fairly early in in the show. It wasn't, you know, this this gem that was dropped at, you know, episode eight or anything. It came fairly early and it was just so profoundly insightful and just kind of hit my heart really, really hard. Yeah, me too. I just, I come back to that so much. I may get it like in calligraphy and, and put it on the wall because it really does, it says so much in such a poetic way about things that are so true. That's amazing. All <laughs> right. Christine, thank you so much. This is a real honor for you to come on our our little fangirl podcast and we really appreciate it. And it's such a gift for Hometown Chop fans to get to listen to such a gifted storyteller talk about a story that we all love together. So just thank you for being such an insightful and always unbelievably positive voice in the fandom and spending this time with us today. Well, thank you. I, it truly, truly was my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Can't wait to listen to the rest of your critiquing as we go forward. Thank you again so much to Christy. We enjoyed talking with her. It was such an excellent experience. Next up, we are covering episode 10 of Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. So you better get ready because there's a lot going on there. Until next time, we'll see you soon.